We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. And away we go. Episode 126 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, August 19th, 2021, the day before preseason game number two for the Washington football team this year. The Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field Friday night at eight as Washington, as Bill Belichick said years ago, is on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. Yes, Bill, we are on to Cincinnati. We're playing Cincinnati at FedEx Field, but we are on to Cincinnati. How about that, by the way? Washington in preseason game number one played at Bill Belichick's New England Patriots. And now Washington in preseason game number two will be facing the team that was the subject of one of Bill's most famous sayings. We're on to Cincinnati. Yes, Bill, we are on to Cincinnati. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What is the final show of the work week, but not the final show of the week? You hopefully are aware of this by now, but due to the Washington football team playing on Friday night and also not practicing on Thursday, uh, also due to the Nationals not playing on Thursday, and also due to uh, there being a dual birthday party 
in the Goldie household on Saturday for a boy who is turning four and a girl who is turning one. Uh, I am not doing a show for Friday, but I am doing a show for Saturday. Speaking of the birthday party, it is a superhero-themed party, and I on Wednesday found out that the adults are dressing up. Uh, I had no idea. The party is happening in my house for my son and daughter, and I had no idea that the adults are dressing up. Hey, I'm lucky that I'm invited to this thing, okay? I promise you that. Anyway, no show for Friday, but a show for Saturday. What you might say is an example of scheduling flex. Position flex. No, Ron, not position flex, but scheduling flex. No show for Friday, but a show for Saturday. Well, coming up next segment, I have for you three things that I want to see from the Washington football team in its preseason game number two. Also on the show, a deep dive on William Jackson III and this issue of him this coming season as a corner, perhaps best suited for man coverage, perhaps being asked to play a lot of zone coverage. This was a major topic during Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday. Ron was terrific in talking about the issue, made a lot of good points, and made me feel better about the whole thing. Not that I was losing sleep over it, but this is something that I think we've all wondered about, right? Is this a square peg, round hole scenario for Jackson with the Washington football team? Ron opened up a lot about the thinking behind signing Jackson in free agency this past offseason. You absolutely want to hear that answer from Ron if you're a Washington football team fan. So a lot of Washington football team content is forthcoming. I will talk Nationals. Uh, Don't look now, but they have won two consecutive games as Josiah Gray did very well again. 8-5 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park on Wednesday to complete a two-game sweep. We are seeing with the Nats a good number of the potential building blocks doing well, and no Nats potential building block is more significant right now than Josiah Gray. Also, seven total homers in that game on Wednesday, including three big ones by the Nats. I will give you an Orioles segment late in the show. Uh, They shockingly lost on Wednesday night. Yeah, can you believe that? 8-4 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays. What was a 14th consecutive loss for the O's. And here's all you need to know. That is not the Orioles' first 14-game losing streak this season. This is the Orioles' second 14-game losing streak on the season. That tells you everything you need to know if you're an Orioles fan. Uh, Although, actually, some of the Orioles' potential building blocks actually did do some good things in that game on Wednesday night. And we, late night on Wednesday night, got more validation of the strength of the Orioles' farm system. Because remember my mantra for the Orioles this season, pain now pleasure later. If you're an O's fan, just keep saying that to yourself over and over and over again. Pain now, pleasure later. Pain now, pleasure later. Just every day, wake up and just say that under your breath constantly. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Sabah regarding the name Red Wolves, potentially being the permanent name for the team currently known as the Washington football team. Right, Sabah? We all know that many Redskins fans live in North Carolina. Many North Carolina residents love the Tar Heels and hate the Wolfpack. So do the Redskins really want to alienate a significant portion of the fan base that they are trying to keep? So no wolves in the name, please, 
I cannot root for the Wolfpack. Please pass this along to Jason Wright. I hear you, Sabah. I hear you. Always good to hear from you. You know, you are right. Uh, There still are a lot of fans of the team currently known as the Washington football team in North Carolina, even with the Carolina Panthers having been playing in the NFL since 1995. This podcast actually gets a lot of downloads from North Carolina. I should probably start soliciting advertisers in North Carolina. It's amazing because here you have the Panthers having been in existence now for more than a quarter of a century. You have the team currently known as the Washington football team having largely been very bad over the last quarter century. And yet there still are so many fans of the Washington football team in the state of North Carolina. It's just incredible when you think about that. But that is the case. I'm with you, Sabah. There are a lot of Washington fans still in North Carolina. Email from Matt Schmidt. He writes, hey, Al, how's your 53-man roster prediction looking? Here's mine. Uh, He's got 26 guys on offense, nine offensive linemen, seven receivers, four running backs, three tight ends, three quarterbacks. He does have Samus Reyes making the season opening 53-man roster. Does have Jarrett Patterson making the season opening 53-man roster. 24 defensive players, 11 defensive backs, eight defensive linemen, five linebackers. Uh, Derek Forrest and both of the 2021 seventh round edge rushers for Washington. So Shaka Tony and William Bradley King make it to the practice squad. And then you have the three special team specialists. He writes, Matt does, things will definitely be interesting for the last five to 10 spots. Thank you for the email, Matt. Things will be interesting. Uh, I like a lot about your roster. Seven receivers to me is not only in play, it's the likely scenario. I mean, just think about it logically. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, Cam Sims, Deami Brown, Antonio Gandy-Golden. That's six right there. And then you need your punt return man. So that to me is either going to be DeAndre Carter or Dax Milne. My guess is Carter with Milne going to the practice squad, although Ron Rivera has had some nice things to say about Milne. So I think it's seven receivers almost for sure at this point. Uh, You have both Peyton Barber and Jarrett Patterson making the team. I think that's very possible. And you have Samus Reyes making the season opening 53-man roster. Boy, would that be something given that the guy had never played football at any meaningful level until last Thursday night. Unfortunately, though, we on Wednesday got some bad news on Samus Reyes. All right, so we on Wednesday had the Washington football team's final practice until preseason game number two, which will take place against the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field on Friday night at 8. And we on Wednesday did get some bad news. Samus Reyes will not play in the game as he is in concussion protocol. So that makes it two Washington tight ends who are in concussion protocol or who at least have been in concussion protocol in Reyes and Tameric Hemingway. Remember, Hemingway entered concussion protocol after playing in Washington's preseason opening, 22-13 loss at the New England Patriots last Thursday night. It's a shame that we won't see Reyes on Friday night against the Bengals. I mean, maybe the single most stunning thing that Ron Rivera has said during training camp was about Reyes. Uh, Ron last Friday at his day after the game press conference saying that Reyes, for whom that Pats game was his first football game on any meaningful level, quote, blocked well, end quote, end quote, might be our most physical tight end, end quote, 
Although Ron did say that he didn't want to get too far ahead of himself. Well, uh, too late for that. Uh, That is a stunning statement, though, right? I mean, now I have theorized, I think that also was Ron sending a message to his other tight ends to block better, right? When Ron comes out and after Samus Reyes' first football game at any meaningful level says, hey, this guy may already be our most physical tight end. I think that's a challenge to Washington's other tight ends to block better. Uh, But still, uh, Samus Reyes impressed in his preseason debut, in his football debut, and uh, Reyes now will not be playing on Friday night. Reyes was the only guy who Ron on Wednesday definitively ruled out for Friday night. And so when it comes to Washington, Cincinnati, the WFT versus the Natty uh, at FedEx Field on Friday night, I have for you three things that I want to see from the Washington football team. I'll give those to you momentarily, but someone who I know is looking forward to watching the game on Friday night is Dr. Matthew Mintz. He's a big Washington football team fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. He's a very smart guy. He's a good guy. And he wants you to be aware of something if you or someone you know is dealing with depression. So Dr. Mintz is an internal medicine and primary care physician who is rated as a top doctor by both Washingtonian and Bethesda magazines. If you need a regular doctor, Dr. Mintz is accepting patients in his concierge practice. Dr. Mintz also offers something very special and groundbreaking in the treatment of depression called Spravato. Spravato is a new FDA-approved medication shown to be safe and effective in patients with what is called treatment-resistant depression. You see, while most patients respond to traditional prescription medications for depression, up to one-third of patients do not improve even after two or more medications. This is called treatment-resistant depression, which really can be debilitating for patients, can lead to thoughts of suicide, even suicide attempts. If you or someone you know is dealing with treatment-resistant depression— Understand, it doesn't have to be this way. Spravato is a nose spray administered in a doctor's office. Unlike most pills that can take weeks to work, Spravato can start working right after the first treatment. And because Spravato is approved by the FDA, Spravato is covered by most insurance companies. Dr. Mintz will work with your insurance company to make sure that Spravato is approved. And understand that for most patients, the cost of each dose is only $10. Yeah, $10. Totally worth it to get your life back. And for patients with Medicare, Medicaid, or Kaiser, or with an insurance that doesn't cover Spravato, Dr. Mintz is also able to administer nasal ketamine, a nose spray similar to Spravato, and that treatment should cost less than $10 per treatment, even without insurance. Spravato can only be administered in authorized healthcare settings, and Dr. Matthew Mintz is one of the few physicians in the DMV who is authorized to administer Spravato in his private Bethesda office. Dr. Mintz and his staff will monitor you closely throughout your treatment to ensure your comfort and safety. You can find out more by going to drmintz.com, that's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z.com, and clicking on the Spravato link. But if you, a friend, or a loved one have depression that is not getting better with traditional treatments or medications, there's no need to continue to suffer. Contact Dr. Mintz to find out if Spravato may be right for you. You can call Dr. Mintz's office at 855-646-8963. And when you call Dr. Mintz's office, make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you mention this podcast the Al Galdi podcast, because doing so will get you $50 off your initial consultation. 855-646-8963. That phone number again, 855-646-8963. If you are suffering from treatment-resistant depression, you need suffer no more. Contact Dr. Matthew Mintz and tell him 
that Al Galdi sent you. All right, three things that I want to see from the Washington football team in its preseason game number two, home to the Cincinnati Bengals Friday night at eight. Number one, all of Washington's quarterbacks who play in the game do well again. This was a really nice aspect of that preseason opening loss at the Pats. All three of Washington's quarterbacks who played in that game look good. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Steven Montez. It'll be interesting to see what the playing time distribution is for Friday night with Kyle Allen set to make his preseason debut. Remember, Kyle on Tuesday told us at his post-practice press conference that he will play on Friday night. Does Ron Rivera play all four of his quarterbacks? Does Ron only play three quarterbacks and give someone the night off? Does Ron only play two quarterbacks in order to give each guy a half? A lot of this is going to depend on how Ron is planning on treating the third preseason game, which is against the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Saturday evening, August 28th. If Ron is going to treat that game like the traditional fourth preseason game, then that game may well be the Steven Montez show, and there's no need to play Montez in this preseason game number two. So under that scenario, you on Friday night could play Fitzpatrick for a quarter, Heineke for a quarter, and Allen for the entire second half. Or if Ron feels like Fitzpatrick only needs one more preseason game, then Ron could not play Fitzpatrick on Friday night, let Heineke, Allen, and Montez handle that game, and then play Fitzpatrick against the Ravens in a final tune-up for the regular season. Remember, Washington will have more than two weeks between its final preseason game and the regular season opener. Final preseason game again is against the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Saturday evening, August 28th. Regular season opener is against the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, September 12th. But whatever the case, I want whoever plays a quarterback for the Washington football team on Friday night to look good. Uh, If it's Patrick plays, let's see multiple more explosive plays like we saw at the Pats, Fitzpatrick in that game, first quarter, second at 7, 22-yard shotgun play action completion to Terry McLaurin. Also had a first quarter, third and 10, 24-yard shotgun completion to Logan Thomas on a beautiful back shoulder play. If Heineke plays, I'm assuming he will, who knows, but let's see more of off-schedule Heineke, you know, playmaker Heineke, as we did at the Pats. Heineke in that game, the great second quarter, third and 10, 11-yard shotgun completion to Jarrett Patterson. On a broken play as Heineke off running backwards and to his right somehow found Patterson, who made a good-looking diving forward catch at the two. And with Allen, uh, well, let's hope that he stays healthy, right? And that he looks sharp. You know, I thought that Kyle Allen actually played pretty well last season. The sample size was small, yes, just four games. But Kyle Allen's total QBR per ESPN over those four games last season was 74.5%. Just to put that into proper context, a 74.5 total QBR for a qualified quarterback would have ranked seventh in the NFL last regular season. Second thing that I want to see from the Washington football team in its preseason game against the Bengals at FedEx Field on Friday night, a second consecutive clean game. Do you know what was one of the best parts of Washington's preseason opening loss at the Pats? How clean the game was for Washington. Washington had just three accepted penalties the entire game. The Pats, for comparison's sake, had nine accepted penalties in the game. So you can't just say that the officials weren't calling anything. So you had Washington committing just three accepted penalties. You had Washington committing just one turnover the entire game, the Steven Montez interception. You had Washington committing no fumbles in the game. You had Washington quarterbacks, as mentioned, doing a nice job. 
And you, for the most part, had no signs of like Washington being confused or having substitution problems or anything like that. I'm sure that there were things here and there, but by and large, Washington was prepared and focused and demonstrated attention to detail. Washington, in other words, came off like a well-coached team. Imagine that. Uh, I want to see that again on Friday night. You know, this whole culture reset for the Washington football team is about many things, but one of them is Washington being better coached and better prepared. And the team very much came off that way in preseason game number one. Let's see that in preseason game number two. And then a third thing that I want to see from the Washington football team in its preseason game against the Bengals at FedEx Field on Friday night, Dustin Hopkins deliver. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers. Will Hopkins deliver on Friday night? It's certainly not often that we say that a player, especially an established veteran, has a lot of pressure on him going into his team's second game of a preseason. But that is the case for Dustin Hopkins. That is the case for D-Hop. He is on the spot come Friday night. 0 for 2 on field goals in that preseason opening loss at the Pats. This off a very uneven 2020 season, during which he, yes, did kick well down the stretch of the regular season. I have mentioned that many times. We do need to be fair about that. Ron Rivera, of course, has stuck by Hopkins. Ron, during his postgame press conference for the game at the Pats, said that, quote, there's not a concern, end quote, about Hopkins. Ron has talked a bunch about the operation involving Hopkins, the holder, Tressway, and the rookie long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman, aka the Cheeseman, needing to get worked out. Well, let's see what we got come Friday night. I always want Washington offensive drives to end in touchdowns, but it won't be the worst thing in the world if a few Washington offensive drives on Friday night stall and we get, say, three or four field goal attempts for Dustin Hopkins. Uh, He and the entire operation need the work. And if he misses a field goal attempt or if he has multiple missed field goal attempts, this whole Dustin Hopkins situation will get taken to an entirely new level. I mean, at some point, at some point, Washington's extreme and inexplicable loyalty to Dustin Hopkins will end. I mean, I outlined on Monday's show, episode 123, how Dustin Hopkins compares to the rest of the NFL on field goals over Hopkins' six regular seasons with Washington. And the bottom line is, Hopkins has been below league average, okay? So the idea of, well, he's been good enough to where he deserves the benefit of the doubt, that's really not that true. He's been great on kickoffs. He's been mediocre on field goals. So why he has had this supremely lengthy leash for years, it's hard to say, but it is the case. At some point, though, that leash is going to be cut, okay? And Washington will no longer have Dustin Hopkins as its kicker. Now, I am rooting for the guy. I would love for him and the operation to get right, okay? I don't want Dustin Hopkins to struggle and get cut. I want Dustin Hopkins to thrive like I want every player on the Washington football team to thrive. So I am hoping for D-Hop to go, say, three for three on field goals on Friday night. But raise your hand if you have high confidence in that happening. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers. We shall see. Obviously, I want no significant injuries for Washington on Friday night. That goes without saying, even though I just said it. Uh, I am very interested to see Jarrett Patterson on Friday night. Does he do as well as he did 
at the Pats. Remember, Patterson in that game led Washington in both rushing yards and receiving yards. He had 10 carries for 40 yards, and he had four receptions for 30 yards on four targets. And we may well see Patterson on punt and or kickoff returns on Friday night. That could be interesting. And I'm looking forward to more playing time for Washington's young offensive linemen. You know, the two guys who played the most offensive snaps for Washington at the Pats were two young offensive linemen. Sadiq Charles played on a team-high 52% of Washington's offensive snaps. Samuel Cosme played on the second-most Washington offensive snaps in the game at 51%. And Cosme received the best grade for pro football focus of any Washington offensive lineman in the game at 81.8. Very good to see those guys get a lot of work. Let's see more of that on Friday night. We're on to Cincinnati. Yes, we're on to Cincinnati. Well, speaking of Cincinnati, Washington's most significant defensive acquisition of the offseason, William Jackson III, used to play for Cincinnati. And William Jackson III was a major topic at Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday. We'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So the two sexiest signings for the Washington football team in free agency this offseason were those of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel. But the biggest money signing 
for Washington in free agency this offseason was that of William Jackson III. Washington signed Jackson to a three-year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in guaranteed money. Now, the deal was widely praised. Uh, If you remember the reaction to this deal from just like a contractual standpoint, uh, universal praise for the Washington football team, and justifiably so. Uh, I liked the signing at the time, and I liked the signing especially from a contractual standpoint. Washington did not overpay to get William Jackson III. ESPN NFL prognosticator Mike Clay tweeted, quote, huge. Jackson is arguably a top 10 cornerback with the ability to shadow opposing number ones. A very good Washington defense gets even stronger, end quote. NFL editor Doug Farrar of USA Today Sports tweeted, quote, the WFT got a CB1 for CB2 money. Can't do much better than that, end quote. Farrar graded the signing as an A+, and called Jackson the best corner in the 2021 free agency class and one of the five best man coverage corners in the NFL. Ah, yes. The issue of William Jackson III being very good in man coverage. Well, we have talked about this. Jackson is known for being at his best in man coverage. Washington last season played a lot of zone coverage. Washington in the 2020 regular season for Football Outsiders was in man coverage just 24% of the time. That ranked just 25th in the NFL in terms of highest frequency of usage of man coverage. Now, Washington's past defense last regular season was very good, so the high usage of zone coverage worked well. But did Washington use a lot of zone coverage last season because that's what best fit the personnel? Or did Washington use a lot of zone coverage last season because that's what Ron Rivera truly believes in? Ron's Carolina Panthers defenses were known for using plenty of zone coverage. That is believed to be one of the things that went wrong for old Jano, Josh Norman, with Washington. He made his reputation playing a lot of zone for the Panthers. He signs the big money deal with Washington in free agency, plays a good bit of man, and gets exposed. Jackson, at a post-training camp practice press conference on August 2nd, literally said about Washington's defense, quote, it's more zone, end quote. More clear, he could not be about this scheme being different than the Cincinnati Bengals scheme that William Jackson III had come to know. However, for what it's worth, William Jackson III, over his four regular seasons of actually playing for the Bengals, 2017 through 2020, did just fine in zone coverage. Jackson, for pro football focus, over those four regular seasons, had a man coverage grade of 78.8 and a zone coverage grade of 74.1. That's really not that big of a difference. So with all of that as a backdrop, Ron Rivera on Wednesday at his post-training camp practice press conference was asked the following by Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, we talk a lot about William Jackson's transition from, from mostly man to mostly zone. I wonder, you know, kind of how do you see that, that timeline playing out or what do you look for other than maybe him playing the, the quarterback through the receiver to tell you that, okay, he's making that progress that we're looking for? Um, well, I think that's really what you're looking for, uh, more so than anything else. You know, it's, it's really a, a comfort in terms of, of, of feeling good about the, the technique, but it's also understanding what's happening around you more so than anything else. You know, when you play man, it's a whole different technique, obviously, because you're, you're playing with your back mostly to the, to, to, to the quarterback, uh, and you're not really aware what the route combinations are that are, that are around you. 
Uh, whereas in zone, you've got to have that feel. And, and, and so it's just a matter of getting comfortable and understanding those concepts. All right. So I wanted to include the question in that cut so you would get the full context. And nowhere in there did you hear a denial from Ron that Washington is going to have Jackson this coming season play more zone than he's used to. Now, that's not necessarily a problem, but that is worth knowing and understanding. We then on Wednesday got this follow-up exchange between Sam and Ron. Like when, when you're scouting that guy before, you know, maybe you sign him someone that, that played in a different sort of scheme. Are you looking maybe at, at more at the snaps where he was playing something that, that you guys would play? Or is that, hey, this guy's really talented. Let's bring him in and teach him. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And, and, and honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. All right. Well, not a very long answer there from Ron. But that question gets to the core concern. Is William Jackson III being set up to be another Josh Norman? Is Jackson being set up to be a corner who gets big money from Washington in free agency, but then is a square peg in a round hole, isn't used the way that suits him best, and ends up being a big disappointment? That's the concern. Personally, I think that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio deserve a benefit of the doubt. Each guy has presided over great defenses with multiple teams. This is not a clown show coaching staff anymore, so I'm going to trust Ron and Jack on the zone man issue, but I do get the concern this is a worthy topic. And something that made me feel better about this whole zone man thing regarding William Jackson III was this from Ron on Wednesday of him being asked again at his post-practice press conference about Jackson being a scheme fit for Washington. Now, you're going to hear some annoyance in Ron's voice, but you're also going to hear an excellent answer. I mean, at the end of the day, guys, you go out and you get talented players and you do it because there's certain things you want to be able to do with your defense. And, and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what he can do and how he can help impact and change things. So we're, we're not going to sit here and, and, and take a guy and say, oh, we're going to turn him into a strictly his own corner. Okay, we're going to use his abilities. And at the same time, we want to find out if, if, if we can get him to do some of these things too because you don't want to just sit there and line up and play man every play or zone every play. You want to be able to have that, 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 the flexibility to flip in and out. You want to be able to disguise, get there and look like we're in press and all of a sudden next thing you know we're playing some form of cover two or cover six or quarters or something. You know, Now all of a sudden we show, hey, look, we're off. Oh, oh gosh, you know they're playing zone and we jump the technique. You know what I'm saying? So... What we want to do is be able to see what else he's capable of doing, how else can he play, and at the same time help train and develop this guy so that we come in, we're multifaceted. 33% of the, 33% of the time we're going to play zone. 33% of the time we're going to play man. 33% of the time we're going to, we're going to run pressures. Uh-oh, what are they going to do now? But if you're like 50%, you're playing man, and in specific situations, you're always in man. You, you, hey, guys, just know every time you get that situation, we're going to play man. We don't want to be able to do it. We want to be able to change it and make people try to guess and understand uh, and, and not understand what we're, we're, we're doing. That's why, that's why you, you find players with, with, with tremendous athletic ability and great skill sets. You know, if, if, if we can do that now, that plays to our benefit. That's what we're trying to do. That right there, my friends was a great answer. In fact, that might be the best answer that Ron Rivera has given to any question that has been asked of him at these training camp press conferences. Well thought out, well explained, passionately delivered, made total sense. That was Ron Rivera 
the head of the Washington football team family, the Don of the family, Don Ron, saying, enough of this zone man angst. Here's the deal, people. This is what we're doing. Calm down. As the greatest Don of them all, Don Corleone said in the movie, The Godfather. You can act like a man. What's the matter with you? That's right. That answer from Don Ron, that was Don Ron channeling his inner Don Corleone. And so what about last season? Does Ron think that Washington got a bit too zone happy last season? Yes, we did. We, 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 and, and that's one of the things that Jack, you know, really wanted to change was give him, give him more options, more tools. And so when a guy like William Jackson's sitting there and we're going, God, this is a guy we got to target, you know, let's, let's do that. And so that's what we did. And, and, you know, now, Jack, when you look at the scripts from practice, you know, you see that combination. You see that mixture. Now, some days we come out and we work all zone. Other days we've come out and we've worked all man. Other days we've come out and he's done like he would do in the game. 33% this, 33% that, and 33% that. I mean, just trying to stay balanced. It's like what I talked to you guys about on the offensive side. First thing I look at is who touched the ball? How many different players were targeted? How many different guys? That, that, that puts doubt in your opponent's mind. But if, 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 if 10 balls go to this guy and 10 balls go to that guy, you know, that's not a good thing because now they know, hey, we, if we can eliminate this and make those other guys beat you, hey, let's have at it. But being balanced offensively, defensively, special teams, that's a huge tool that you use as a coach. And that's all we're trying to do with William. We're not, we're not going to not do what he does best. But we want to be able to have some options and create some doubt that our opponents have got to try to figure out now, you know, in this situation, hey, they're not always going to be in this coverage. So that's really what that's all about, trying to develop that. All right. So I don't know about you, but this whole William Jackson III zone man thing now makes a lot more sense. We will see a healthy mix in terms of zone versus man this coming season of not really having had that much of a mix last season. And yes, Washington's pass defense was very good last season. Washington finished the 2020 regular season at number two in the NFL in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric, but that was last season. The list of opposing quarterbacks last season had something to do with that. With Washington set to face what appears to be a brutal run of opposing quarterbacks this coming season, things figure to be a bit harder. And thus, Washington's defense likely is going to need to be more sophisticated. I mean, barring the unforeseen, Washington will not be facing the likes of Ben DiNucci, Ryan Finley, and Nate Sudfeld this coming season. The murderer's row of opposing quarterbacks that Washington is set to face, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott twice in three weeks in December. You get the idea. Also from Ron at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday, an explanation for why more man coverage could be particularly advantageous for Washington. Yeah, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why you want to play a little bit more man too is because of the pass rush we have. Give those guys a little bit more time. Take away those quick throws, you know. You come up early and show that you're blitzing and you're off. Now, all of a sudden, it's just raise up and throw the ball and it becomes ineffective. But if you're up there pressing and you think, oh, okay, I can't throw. I may, I may have to hold the ball and try to throw the ball downfield. That gives the pass rush time. Those are, those are some of the reasons why we want to create, you know, a situation where we don't always have to, we're not always going to be in zone. 
you know, we're going to use some of the man stuff that we're working on now. And now all of a sudden it puts pressure on the quarterback. It puts pressure on the play caller. It helps our pass rush. Um, and, and those things can become effective. At the same time, third and long, and you're playing in really good zone, that helps the pass rush get there. So those are things that we want to get good at. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Matthew Price, writes Matthew, love the podcast. There's no better DC sports podcast out there. And while I enjoy the others out there, they just don't do it quite like you. Well, thank you, Matthew. That's very nice of you. Continues, Matthew. My concerns with WJ3 are growing since we signed him. I was very excited once we signed him. And with the good grades the team received from national media for signing him, it reassured my excitement. However, since then, it's sort of been downhill. First, it starts with the comments about his old team. All I can think about is Landon Collins ripping the Giants every chance he gets, only to get embarrassed by them. And I don't think bashing your former team means you're going to automatically stink, but it puts a target on your back and makes your bad plays more noticeable. Second, he's a press man corner, and the assumption with his signing was that we were going to transition to more of a man cover defense. Everything we've heard up to this point makes it sound the exact opposite, and they're requiring him to transition into a zone corner. I'm not going to pretend I'm some film junkie and know what he can and can't do, but we've seen this same old song and dance before. Lastly, I don't think I've read many reports in camp about him performing all that well. Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I feel like the only times I hear his name is when he's on the other end of a big play. Thanks for taking the time to read my rant on WJ3. Love the pod. P.S. Love the intro. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, All right, so a few things. So regarding the comments about William Jackson, the third's old team, the Bengals. Uh, I don't believe that he has sounded off on them a lot. Now, he did sound off on them to an extent on B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7, but that was on March 29th. And unless I'm missing something, it's not like Jackson has been constantly ripping or even talking about Cincinnati. His comments on the radio, in case you missed them, quote, Cincinnati, they got some crude fans, man. Misery loves company. Them dudes, they wonder why they're not winning. I'm happy I'm out of that thing, man. It's a blessing to get away, and I wish them the best. But Washington, let's go from here, end quote. I mean, I don't love that William Jackson III said that stuff, but I can live with that, okay? Especially if that's like a one-time thing. As for the man zone thing, well, we just talked about that, and we shall see. But like I said, for me, for now, in Ron and Jack, I trust. And I really liked what Ron had to say on Wednesday. And then when it comes to the kind of camp that William Jackson III is having, I agree. It certainly doesn't seem like he's had a sensational camp. But there are many potential reasons for why we're not hearing and reading about William Jackson III a ton. Maybe he's taking it easy during camp and is going to kill it come the regular season. Maybe he's dealing with injury and he's just taking it easy because of that. Maybe he's actually doing better than we realize and people are just missing the boat. You know, there's a lot going on at these training camp practices. And just because you have a lot of people covering the practices doesn't mean those people see and are aware of everything going down. I always go by a guy's body of work, and William Jackson III's body of work is really good. Like, you take a step back, and you look at this thing in a bigger picture way. Per Pro Football Focus, there are 95 corners who each played at least 1,000 coverage snaps from the 2017 through 2020 regular seasons. William Jackson III's coverage grade of 82.4 during that span is number 17 on the list of the 95 corners. Number 17. And by the way, Kendall Fuller's coverage grade is 82.2. 
That comes in at number 18. So the Washington football team has two of the top 18 corners over the last four regular seasons in terms of coverage grades for pro football focus. There's a body of work for William Jackson III that is substantial. And if you're Ron Rivera and you're Jack Del Rio and you have the defensive track records that those guys have, you don't sign William Jackson III to a three-year, $40.5 million contract without full knowledge of what the guy is and isn't and a complete and thorough plan for how to maximize what the guy is. Well, for the first time since July 27th and 29th, the Nationals have won back-to-back games. Yes, the Nats were threatening going nearly a full month without a winning streak, but that run now over thanks to an 8-5 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park on Wednesday to complete a two-game sweep. The Nats are not winning often these days, as you likely know, so let's enjoy this. Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, sir. Davey, the boys, they battled, and the boys, they won. Now, the boys, they did blow a 4-2 seventh-inning lead thanks to Ryan Harper giving up three runs in the top of the seventh, but the boys then responded with four runs in the bottom of the seventh inning, so the Nats now 16 games below 500 at 52 and 68. But before we get to the batting, we must begin with the pitching, because Wednesday was a Josiah Gray day. You remember when Max Scherzer pitched? The Nats called those days Scherz days. Well, I am calling a day on which Josiah Gray pitches Josiah Gray Day. Interestingly, right, the Nats got him from the Los Angeles Dodgers as a part of the package for Scherzer and Trey Turner. Josiah Gray is the guy who matters more than anyone for the Nats right now. And he on Wednesday was good for the Nats for a fourth time in four starts. Two runs in six innings. He had four strikeouts versus five hits a walk and a hit by pitch on 87 pitches, 55 strikes versus 32 balls. Now, Gray did allow two more homers. And if there's a nit to pick right now with Josiah Gray, it is the home run. Uh, He allowed a run in the top of the second on a leadoff homer by Teoscar Hernandez to left field, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. And Gray allowed a run in the top of the third on a two-out solo homer by Marcus Semien to left field. So Gray now has allowed 11 homers in 30 major league innings. That's way too many homers, okay? I mean, that works out to 3.3 home runs per nine innings. In fact, Josiah Gray has allowed more home runs than walks as a major league pitcher. 11 home runs allowed versus 10 walks allowed. But he's really only giving up solo homers. In fact, all seven of the homers that Josiah Gray has allowed as a national are solo homers. So yeah, you don't want to be giving up home runs, but if all you ever do is give up solo homers, you can live with giving up home runs. And Josiah Gray right now, because he's not walking a lot of people, because he's not giving up a lot of hits other than home runs, isn't getting burned by the home run. So, you know, you want to see the home runs come down, but this is not the end of the world that he's giving up all these home runs. And overall, the run prevention has been there. Like at the end of the day for a pitcher, it really is about how many innings did you pitch? How many runs did you give up? Josiah Gray, over his four starts with the Nats, has tossed 22 innings. He, over those four starts in 22 innings, has an ERA of 286. That's really good. He has a whip of 1.05. 
That's really good. I mean, those numbers are excellent. 286 ERA, 105 whip. Gray on Wednesday began a scoreless top of the six by recording back-to-back strikeouts of Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Love seeing that. Now, Gray did get into some trouble into that top of the six. He gave up a two-out double to Teoscar Hernandez, followed by a two-out single to Lourdes Gurriel. But Gray was able to come through in that inning, and Gray was able to come through in the game. And he comes through against one of the better-hitting teams in the majors in the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays entered games on Wednesday, number two in the majors in team weighted runs created plus at 112. 100 is league average. The Blue Jays entered games on Wednesday with a team weighted runs created plus of 112. That is tremendous. And Josiah Gray against that team with that lineup was able to allow just two runs in six innings. He's done a really nice job. You obviously want to see more, okay? You don't just sit here and plant the flag of victory at this point of four starts in 22 innings. But Josiah Gray is living up to the hype. Number 54 prospect in baseball per Baseball America's latest rankings, which came out on Monday. And Gray is the number 54 overall prospect in baseball per MLB Pipeline's updated rankings of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Those rankings came out late night on Wednesday night. Two other items from Gray's game. He had a really nice fielding play uh, in the game. He crisply fielded a bunt by the Blue Jays starting pitcher, Jose Barrios, for a 1-6-4 double play for the first two outs in the top of the third. And Josiah Gray had a hit. Uh, He had a two-out single in the bottom of the second inning. Now, when it came to the Nats' bullpen on Wednesday, so four Nats relievers ended up being utilized by Davey Martinez. And as has been the case lately, the bulk of the relievers did pretty well to very well. It was just like one or two guys who did not do well. In this game, it was one guy. And the one guy struggling was costly, Ryan Harper, who overall has been really good for the Nats this season, really hasn't been used all that much by David Martinez, I feel like should have been used more. Uh, well, maybe now we know why. Uh, Ryan Harper struggled in the top of the seventh inning. He allowed three runs and got just one out. Uh, he issued a leadoff eight-pitch walk of Randall Gritchick, then gave up back-to-back one-out homers over two pitches. A one-out first pitch, two-run homer by Corey Dickerson, followed by a one-out solo homer by Marcus Semien for a 5-4 Blue Jays lead. That top of the seventh was a real buzzkill. The Nats went from leading 4-2 to trailing 5-4. It was so big that the Nats scored four runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. More on that in just a bit. But Ryan Harper did not do well. Mason Thompson actually came in and did a nice job facing two batters and getting two outs in the top of the seventh inning. Andres Machado started off the top of the eighth. He faced four batters in that inning, began the inning well, back-to-back strikeouts, though he did then issue back-to-back two-out walks sandwiched around a wild pitch. And so that brought Kyle Finnegan into the game, and Finnegan was terrific. He recorded a four-out save and tossing one into third scoreless innings. Came into the game in the top of the eighth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats nursing an 8-5 lead, induced a flyout by pinch hitter Alejandro Kirk to Juan Soto for the third out. And then Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the ninth inning to end the game. You know, it's been an up and down run for Finnegan as the Nats' new closer, but I think by and large, he's actually done a pretty good job. And it was good to see him come in and do something other than just, you know, the routine Ninth inning save, you know, the ability to be able to be summoned for a four-out save, that's important. That matters. If a guy's going to be your top reliever, your ace reliever, your high-leverage late-innings weapon, you need to be able to use him in innings other than ninth. You need to be able to, at times, lean on him to get more than three outs. And Finnegan, on Wednesday anyway, was able to do that, coming through with that four-out save. 
And then there was the Nats lineup, uh, which got to the ex-Nat, Brad Hand. You know, it was interesting. Kyle Finnegan gets a four-out save on Wednesday, a save of more than three outs. Uh, that was something that Davey asked Brad Hand to do a few times this season. Brad Hand, as Nats closer, was very mixed. He had stretches of excellence. He also had stretches of ineptitude. That's part of the reason that the Nationals had to engage in the sell-off in late July. You know, a good number of games that should have been wins ended up not being wins, and Brad Hand played a role in some of those losses. And how about Brad Hand in this game for the Blue Jays on Wednesday? His sixth blown save of the season as he gave up two homers, which charged with three runs and got just two outs. Now, Brad Hand was not used as the Blue Jays' closer in this game. He was used, though, in the bottom of the seventh with the Blue Jays now holding a 5-4 lead and Hand coughed up the lead. And Josh Bell had a lot to do with that. Bell in this game on Wednesday only went one for five, but the one was a big one. In fact, the one may be Josh Bell's biggest hit as a Nat. It's certainly up there, a huge three-run homer. Josh Bell smashing a three-run opposite field homer to right center field off ex-Nat Brad Hand for a 7-5 Nats lead in the Nats four-run seventh. The homer going a projected 396 feet per stat cast. The homer was Bell's first homer since homering on August 5th. Yeah, it had been a while since Josh Bell had homered. And the homer was Bell's 20th homer of the season. You know, it's interesting with Bell because he was so bad in the month of April that his overall numbers for the season still really aren't that great. And, you know, it's not like he's been on fire ever since the start of May, but he has been a lot better since the start of May. His slash line on the season now, 241 batting average, 304 on base percentage, 459 slugging percentage. But he is someone who has been a lot better over these last four months as compared to what he was during that first month. And that was a big-time hit for Bell with that three-run home run to give the Nats the lead in this game for good on Wednesday, getting to Brad Hand. And then Carter Keeboom got to Brad Hand in that Nationals four-run bottom of the seventh inning. Keeboom crushing a one-out first pitch solo homer to left field offhand for an 8-5 Nationals lead. And that was some shot. That home run going a projected 402 feet per stat cast as Carter Keeboom continues to show signs that he may well be blossoming as a major league batter. Carter Keeboom now, this season at the major league level, over 87 plate appearances, batting average of 270, on base percentage of 356, slugging percentage of 419. I mean, the slugging percentage isn't that good, but the on base percentage sure is a 356 on base. You know, Keeboom had a one out hit by pitch uh, in the Nationals one run six inning in this game on Wednesday. So Bell delivers the big homer. Keeboom delivers a key homer. And Juan Soto, had a big home run in this game. Not off Brad Hand, uh, off the Blue Jays starter, Jose Barrio. So Juan Soto in this game had the kind of line that Barry Bonds at his juiced up peak used to put forth. Like if you remember Barry Bonds, say, you know, 2001 through 2004, what Juan Soto did on Wednesday was what Bonds used to do on the regular. Juan Soto on Wednesday, one for two with a three-run homer, and three walks, okay? That's what Bonds used to do, and that's what Soto did on Wednesday. Now, Bonds used to get intentionally walked a ton. Soto wasn't intentionally walked, although you could argue some of these were maybe unintentional, intentional walks. But Juan Soto was huge in this game, getting on base four times, and the homer was massive. A three-run opposite field homer to left field in the bottom of the first 
off Blue Jay starter Jose Barrios. The homer, DeSoto's second homer since homering on July 27th. Look, he is not seeing a lot of pitches to hit these days, so he's got to capitalize on those pitches that he can hit, and capitalize Soto did with that three-run shot in the bottom of the first on Wednesday. And then came all the walks. Uh, Soto drawing a one-out five-pitch walk in the bottom of the third, a two-out six-pitch walk in the bottom of the fifth, despite having been down in the count at 1.12, and a six-pitch walk offhand in the Nats' four-run seventh inning. Yeah, Hand came into the game to face Soto. Soto wins that battle, drawing the walk, and then Josh Bell wins his battle with Hand and taking Hand deep for the three-run home run. Juan Soto's slash line now on the year. He continues to have a 300-400-500 season. Very hard to do, and yet Soto is on a path to doing this. We'll see if it holds up. I hope it does. I tend to think that it will. A 304 batting average, 443 on base percentage and a 517 slugging percentage. And what really stands out there is the on-base percentage. I mean, a lot of guys don't slug 443. Juan Soto has a 443 on base, just to give you an idea of how many walks this guy is drawing on the season. And three more walks for Juan Soto on Wednesday to go with, oh, by the way, the three-run home run in the bottom of the first inning. Uh, Some other items from this game. So with Brad Hand struggling, it's also worth mentioning that the guy who the Nats got back for Brad Hand in the trade of Hand to Toronto, Riley Adams came through once again for the Nats. Adams was a hero for the Nats in their 12-6 win over the Blue Jays at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. And Adams was a hero for the Nats in this game on Wednesday. Two for three with a double, a single, and a hit by pitch. He had a two-out ground rule double in the bottom of the fourth, had a two-out single in the Nats' one-run six, and had a two-out hit by pitch in the bottom of the seventh inning. Ryan Zimmerman came through in a pinch-hit scenario on Wednesday. Zimmerman, a pinch two-out first pitch RBI single in the bottom of the sixth inning. The play was initially ruled an error. Uh, That was not the right call. Thankfully, they changed that. Zim deserved a hit. He smoked that ball up the middle. The hit for Statcast with an exit velocity of 102.1 miles per hour. And then I thought Luis Garcia had a very interesting defensive ninth inning. So Garcia in the game did have a single, a two-out single in the bottom of the fourth. But Luis Garcia, who has this reputation for making the spectacular play, but not always the routine play, kind of sort of had that pop up in what did end up being a scoreless top of the ninth. So he perhaps should have taken a two-out grounder off the bat of Bo Bichette, but did not And the play ended up being a single for Bichette, but also a throwing error for Josh Bell. Bell ended up ranging to his right big time in trying to make the play. He made a horrendous throw to first base, Bell did. But I kind of look at that and I'm like, you know, Garcia is the more adept fielder. Garcia is the second baseman. Why didn't Luis Garcia take that ball? Why was Josh Bell taking that ball? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what the communication was like between those two, but uh, so, you know, I don't know. Is that on Luis Garcia, that play? Maybe not, but it is something to wonder about. I mean, Bell's got to make a better throw. That throw was just, <laughs> that wasn't close to first base. But I did wonder about Garcia defensively in that moment. But then what happened with the very next batter? Luis Garcia made a terrific game-ending play. An outstanding sliding backhanded catch on the outfield grass behind the second base bag while sliding toward third base and then throwing against his momentum to first base for a game-ending ground out by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So with Luis Garcia, it really is all about consistency with his defense. And we know he can make the five-star play. He made a five-star play in the win on Tuesday night. He made a five-star play to end this win on Wednesday. Got to be more consistent 
But uh, the ability is there. And we certainly saw the ability on display on that game-ending play. Tremendous athleticism, tremendous awareness, and a great job by Luis Garcia as the Nationals get a second consecutive win for the first time since late July. No game for the Nats on Thursday. They, on Friday, begin a nine-game road trip with game one of a three-game series at the National League Central-leading Milwaukee Brewers. All right, well, the Orioles have done it. Uh, They have tied their longest losing streak of the season. I wasn't sure if they could do it, but the guys came together, stepped up or stepped down, and got the job done. 14 consecutive losses now, 8-4 loss at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday night. You know, the Orioles could teach a master class in tanking because this is some tank job being authored by this ball club this season. Now, not one, but two 14-game losing streaks this season. The O's during this current 14-game losing streak have been outscored 131-40. Yes, 131 131- 40, a run differential during the 14-game losing streak of minus 91. That's hard to do, and yet that is precisely what the Birds have done. The O's now are a Major League Worst 38-81 and with a Major League Worst run differential of minus 222. Yes, the O's now are certifiably the worst team in baseball, worst record in the majors and worst run differential in the majors. The O's had had the worst run differential in the majors for a while, actually had not had the worst record in the majors, had had the worst record in the American League. But the O's now have all the championship belts when it comes to being terrible in Major League Baseball in 2021. And did you notice what the record now is? 38 and 81. So Wednesday night's loss clinched that the O's will not have a winning record this season. I know that was very much in doubt for a lot of you, so that is now off the board. The Orioles officially cannot have a winning record in 2021, and oh yeah, we still have well more than a month to go in this 2021 regular season. So Spencer Watkins on Wednesday night was bad for a fifth consecutive start. Watkins in this 8-4 loss at the Rays on Wednesday night, four runs in four innings. He gave up eight hits, three doubles and five singles. He issued two walks. He had just two strikeouts. The pitching has just been abysmal. I mean, really throughout this season, but especially during this 14-game losing streak. Spencer Watkins, for a while, was pitching well. He had been good in each of his first three major league starts. He's now been bad in each of his last five major league starts. I mean, not that this guy is supposed to be much of anything. The O's selected his contract from AAA Norfolk on June 30th. He was taken by the Detroit Tigers in the 30th round of the 2014 MLB draft. Didn't make his major league debut until this past July 2nd in a relief appearance for the O's. Uh, There were some good things on Wednesday night, so we might as well mention them. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle homered. That was nice to see. He was the Orioles starting first baseman at number three batter. Had a one-out full count solo homer in the top of the eighth, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. Remember the O's on Tuesday reinstated Mountcastle from the 10-day injured list, which he had been on due to a concussion. And Mountcastle in the previous game, the 10-0 loss at the Rays on Tuesday night as the O's starting first baseman and cleanup batter had a double and a walk. So he at least is hitting the ground running off having missed some time with the concussion. Also on Tuesday night, Cedric Mullins had a leadoff homer in the top of the first on an 0-2 pitch. Austin Hayes had a single, a stolen base, 
and an outfield assist. These are the things that you have to focus on if you're an O's fan. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy right now because the team is just wretched. We also had this come out late night on Wednesday night. And you know my mantra. I talked about it a lot on the previous installment of the podcast. Pain now, pleasure later. Well, along those lines, MLB Pipeline late night on Wednesday night came out with the outlet's new rankings of the top 100 prospects in baseball. And the Orioles, in fact, have five of the top 100 prospects in baseball. In fact, the O's have five of the top 83 prospects in baseball. Catcher Adley Rutschman is the number one prospect in baseball. Starter Grayson Rodriguez is the number eight prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Starter D.L. Hall is the number 78 prospect in baseball. Shortstop third baseman Gunnar Henderson is the number 80 prospect in baseball. And outfielder Colton Kowser is the number 83 prospect in baseball. Kowser is a guy who the O's took with the number five pick in this year's MLB draft. Kowser was taken out of Sam Houston State. So it gets a little confusing because Baseball America just came out with its top 100 prospects list. You really have two primary outlets when it comes to prospect rankings in baseball, MLB Pipeline and Baseball America. So I like to look at both. You know, I don't know that one is necessarily that much better than the other. If I had to pick one, I guess I'd say MLB Pipeline, but they're both very good. They're both very reputable. Uh, The O's in the Baseball America top 100 prospects list that came out on Monday had four of the top 100 prospects. But also on that list, just like on this MLB pipeline list that came out late night on Wednesday night, the O's had the number one prospect in baseball in catcher Adley Rutschman and the number one pitching prospect in baseball in starter Grayson Rodriguez. So that's a consensus at this point. Adley Rutschman is the consensus number one prospect in the sport. Starter Grayson Rodriguez is the consensus number one pitching prospect in the sport. And the likes of D.L. Hall and Gunnar Henderson are considered top 100 prospects. Although with Hall, there is now an injury concern as Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias in a virtual press conference on July 30th said that Hall was likely to miss the rest of the season due to a stress reaction in his left elbow. But again, these are the things you need to focus on right now if you're an Orioles fan because the outcomes of games at the major league level are only going to disappoint you at this point. Game four for the O's at the American League leading Rays Thursday afternoon at 1:10. Jorge Lopez will start for the O's. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Remember, no show for Friday, but a show for Saturday. This is a rare schedule adjustment due to the Washington football team having a second preseason game on Friday night and, to a lesser extent, due to the Nationals not playing on Thursday and also, to a lesser extent, due to the dual birthday party in the Goldie household on Saturday. Enjoy Washington versus the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field on Friday night. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Have a great Friday. And I'll talk to you on Saturday. We're on to Cincinnati. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.